Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Before we begin, a note from our sponsor. I'm Richard Jacobs, Executive Director of the nonprofit Finding Genius Foundation and host of the Finding Genius Podcast. In late 2016, I was rear-ended at 65 miles an hour by a truck on the highway, which sent me off-road into a ditch. The impact of the collision gave me a concussion and other injuries. At the hospital, a CT scan showed that I had thyroid nodules, which turned out to be cancer. It was then, when I had a biopsy in my neck, that I realized, even if I was a millionaire, I wouldn't want a second or a third biopsy due to the pain and the invasiveness of it. And appointments at that time for thyroid experts were three to six months out. And I was worried about dying now, even if that was irrational. So because of this, I've decided to raise money to conduct a literature review on steroids, on the causes of anxiety and depression, a condition that affects well over 50 million people in the United States and hundreds of millions worldwide. Our goal is to create a codex, a guide, that reveals all possible treatments for anxiety and depression for people that live with the condition or for loved ones that have it, as my wife and my son do. To find out more about our fundraiser, visit FindingGeniusFoundation.org and click on Current Initiatives. And now, to our guest. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. Quick note about the foundation before we start. We've started on our anxiety and depression uh, massive literature overview. The whole goal of this project is if you suffer from depression or anxiety or you know someone that does and they go to a health practitioner, the practitioner may have two or three percent of all the possible treatments. What if we can go over thousands of sources, meaning lectures, peer-reviewed papers, interviews, et cetera, and assemble 20 percent of all the possible treatments? If so, I think that'll be a home run for people suffering and people, friends and family of the sufferers. And that's the goal of the project. So we're embarking on it. We need your help in terms of donations and interest and volunteering. Go to FindingGeniusFoundation.org to find out more. And today, my guest is Kelsey Nightingale. We're going to talk about Sphinx Cats. uh, And I'm going to go a bit into her background and uh, how she came across them herself. So Kelsey, thanks for coming. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I apologize. I didn't have uh, much of a bio on you. Would you tell me about your, uh, your position and your work and a little bit about your background? Yeah, definitely. So I am a licensed veterinary technician in the state of Oregon. They call us CVTs for short. I always knew I wanted to work in veterinary medicine. And after doing some research, I decided that I wanted to be a technician. I graduated in 2013 and I have been working primarily in small animal general practice ever since. And then uh, I guess you've Do you have Sphinx cats or uh, do you work with them quite a bit? Like, how have you run across them? I do. So I had always thought they were extremely interesting and really cool. I never really considered myself a cat person at all. But I always said if I was going to get a cat, it would be a Sphinx. I did actually a research project in school specifically about Sphinx cat, and it sparked my interest even more. And I had my first Sphinx cat for five and a half years before, unfortunately, she passed away. 
And then I currently have a four-month-old Sphinx kitten. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I have two Sphinx cats myself. The reason why we have them is um, I thought they were hyperallergenic, or at least my daughters told me they were. We got them and they do seem to be, or at least I'm not allergic to cats anymore, but they're, I guess what they were people call hairless cats, even though they seem to have like this peach fuzz on their skin. But what have you observed or like some of the reasons that people have Sphinx cats? Is it because of their looks? And then I want to ask you about like the, the peculiarities of them that make them different from regular cats. Yeah, definitely. A lot of people are drawn to them because of the unique look. I mean, it's something that either most people love or they hate. Either they see them and they think they're the cutest thing in the world or they're super ugly to each their own. I personally think they're super adorable. Uh, And I think it was the look that drew me in and does so with a lot of people. But what made me decide, you know, it's kind of my breed of choice is the personality that I found out that they have after owning my first one. It was just different from any relationship I've ever had with another cat. Yeah, I know cats are supposed to be aloof. Are they more aloof or less? Or like in terms of behaviors, how are they different from regular cats? Generally, and I say generally because just like with any animal, every Sphinx cat can definitely have its own personality. But the majority of them are much less independent than your standard cat. They want to be around people all of the time and they want to they want to sleep under the covers in bed with you and they just crave attention. Um, they seem to be very playful. It's it's more like having a dog cat, in my opinion. And you can probably speak to that, too. I'm I'm guessing that yours are probably pretty affectionate little cats as well. Yeah, the um, it's weird. The male one, he rubs on my chin. He'll purr and he'll like rub himself all over my chin. And my daughter said that because he's putting his scent on me. I thought it's because he loved me, but I think it's just because <laughs> he's like, you know, saying I'm his. But he does that. I have stubble and I guess he likes to rub on the stubble and, you know, scratch himself and put his scent all over me. They love that scratchy feeling too. Before I ever owned one, I actually watched like a bunch of online videos of Sphinx cats rubbing their faces all over men's beards or facial stubble. It's a really common thing. And both of my Sphinx cats that I've had love to rub their faces all over my husband's beard. They'll still headbutt me and rub their face against me a little bit, but they love that scratchy feeling. Oh, so it's it's men's beards are a scratching post to them, huh? Pretty much, yes. That's funny. Another thing they do that's unusual is they like to jump on our shoulders and sit there. I mean, I it, it scared the heck out of me the first few times. Like the male cat does that. He'll, he'll look at me, I'll see his pupils widen, and I go, oh, no. And he jumps onto my shoulder and sits up there like a parrot. I don't know if you've uh, seen Sphinx cats do that. I call them parrot cats all the time, actually. And I was thinking when I had my first Sphinx that it was a bit of a fluke thing. She would constantly... You wouldn't even know where she was. And next thing you know, she is leaping across the room and on your shoulder. I can't tell you how many shirts and sweaters and things got holes ripped in them from her just trying to get up on my shoulder. And then she would just sit there and be perfectly content. And I thought, okay, maybe this is just her. But sure enough, after probably two weeks of having my kitten, she started doing the exact same thing. Yeah, it's weird what they do. And uh, it, it makes you clip their nails more often because it's 
nothing worse than they they look at you and you go oh no and they jump and grab and you're like ah and they climb up you you know 100 <laughs> percent. they want to be near you and love you but yeah those claws are not fun yeah and they're um i noticed that their ears need to be cleaned a lot they develop like maybe all cats do but we have to clean out their ears a lot because they develop a lot of dirt and then their skin seems to trap more dirt than than other cats and dogs too too have you noticed yes that? absolutely they do um they have more oil production in their skin because they don't have that normal fur coat they just have that like peach fuzz on their body so all of that oil seeps out and it collects dust and dirt so they get dirty much quicker Um, and the same thing happens with their ears their ears tend to be a lot greasier and get a lot more wax filled up and a standard sphinx cat although they do need their ears cleaned a lot more frequently than a you know domestic cat with fur the ones that really are prone to increased ear infections are often what they call elf cats which is actually what the kitten I have now is they have outcrossed sphinx cats with the American curl cat breed so they now have the hairless sphinx cats with these ears the the tips curl backwards, but it creates, it has all this extra cartilage. And so in combination with that extra wax, it makes it even more difficult to keep on top of. Oh, wow. I'm looking at them. Hey, I better not show my kids this. They're going to want them. Like they have wings or a crown or yeah, their ears are very unusual. Yeah. They're, yeah, they're very, even more so unique looking. And I actually did not want one. I wanted this thing with standard ears and it's a long story of why I caught one like this, but I just right. I fell in love with her and I couldn't say no. Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click Support Us today. Now, back to the show. And why are some have a pink undertone and some have a gray undertone? So they have the same pigment characteristics that any cat would have. So the pink ones typically would be white or cream colored cats. There are black sphinx, which if they had normal cat fur would be black. They also come in the calico varieties and tortoise shells. Um, The one I have now is a blue-gray color. That's the color that her fur would be. So it's the same as if you took a regular cat and shaved all its fur off. A lot of people don't know that their skin actually generally holds that same pigment that their fur color Uh, is going to be. Okay, that's cool. I didn't realize that. And then um, just my cats, but they don't seem like they like to be pet. You think that's because they don't have any hair and it's unpleasant for them to be pet? Or is it just the cat itself? I think think it's a little bit of the cat itself. What I have noticed, which seems kind of strange, and I don't know if it's just been my two, 
but the cats at the cattery I got my kitten from did the same thing. So I'm thinking it might be a whole sphinx thing. They like to like have their rear end smacked lightly, which sounds just kinky and terrible, but that's, that's what they seem to enjoy, like waste more so than being pet or having their ears rubbed. But I'm sure there are ones out there that love being pet like a normal cat, but I don't think it's the majority. Oh, so do you like, do you like tap their flanks lightly? Like on one or both sides? Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you're right. They do want to cuddle and sleep under the covers. And we have like these heated pods that they go into during the day. You know, there's an opening on the whole time, but it's like this heated, like clamshell type thing that they hang out in. They like because it's, they get cold easily is what I've observed. Their, um, their paws, and their tail seem to get by far the coldest. So in terms of like keeping their heat and keeping them uh, safe and comfortable, what have you observed? Having the pods like you just mentioned is a fantastic idea because they do need that heat. Their metabolisms are generally working faster than a normal cat's metabolism because they have to put more energy out to stay warm. So giving them warm places to escape to is fantastic. If it's possible for people, I recommend keeping your house no colder than 70 degrees. And if your house is going to drop below 70 degrees, uh, that's when sweaters and clothing come into play, which some Sphinx cats will not tolerate, but I've found the majority of them to, with a little bit of conditioning, they become okay to wearing clothing and what about bathing them is there a special you know substance you use to bathe them you don't use on other cats or vice versa i use a specific just fragrance free cat and dog shampoo the common mistake i see a lot of people make is actually over bathing their sphinx cats and you'll find a lot of information on the internet even that says to bathe your sphinx cat like once to twice a week and if you do that you're risking a drying out their skin and b in retaliation of their skin drying out it actually starts to produce more oils and so they'll become dirtier faster so depending on how much oil your cat produces, normal is generally more like two to four weeks. Some people can even get away with every six weeks. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. But you don't want to increase that oil production by overbathing or cause them to get dry and scaly. So they, although they definitely do need baths, I think a lot of people bathe them too much. Oh, that's good to know. What other um, health effects should people look out for, like versus normal cats? What do uh, Sphinx cats have problems with? Yeah, so we mentioned, you know, the skin stuff and the ears. They're, I think, a little bit more prone to allergies and food allergies than other cats are, as is true with most purebred and exotic type breeds. But the big one for Sphinx cats that I would really love more people to know about is a condition that they can develop over time. And it's usually genetic related and it is called hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. And we refer to it as HCM for short. And it is a heart condition 
And it will eventually, if a sphinx cat gets this disease, that is what will end up killing them. Um, And that is actually how I lost my first sphinx was to that specific heart disease. Well, why does it happen? Is it, again, there's just certain sphinxes or all sphinxes uh, genetically predisposed? So there's still a lot of research going into it. There is definitely a genetic component and reputable, responsible breeders have their cats screened and tested at least every year. They're breeding cats. They have them tested for this. The problem is that it can develop on average between age five and seven and sometimes even later in life than that. So if you figure the average cats are being bred between the ages of one and a half and four years of age, if they're going to get this disease, it's not going to be until after they've been retired from breeding. So they've already produced these kittens that could have inherited it from their parent. And North Carolina State University actually just came out with, I think it was about a year or two, a year and a half ago, um, the first ever DNA test for Sphinx Cat HCM. And it is likely not the only gene that causes it or contributes to it, but it is one that they have for sure isolated to be linked to this disease in Sphinx cats. And anyone can order this test online. It's only $40 per cat. And you can see if your cat carries none or one or both copies of this gene that they've isolated. Okay. And then what about uh, lifespan? Like what's a, you know, I think they're a bit more than dogs, usually a typical cat. But what's a typical cat lifespan versus a Sphinx cat? So for a Sphinx cat, if they don't get this heart disease, for instance, you would expect anywhere between 16 and 18 years. However, from what I've seen, they seem to have a slightly higher prevalence of other health conditions. So I think average taking all of the health conditions in would probably be more like 14 or 15. Oh, that's good. At least it's not dramatically shortened, though. You know, like eight or 10 or even less. That's good to know. No, I've seen several people recently with Sphinx cats that are in their teens and still doing really well. Have you seen anyone uh, breed a Sphinx cat with a regular cat? And if so, what happened? Yes. And typically what happens is out of that first litter of kittens, you would get normal furred kittens. But then if you bred them back to the Sphinx parent, you could get hairless kittens. So it is a genetic trait. All Sphinx cats actually originated from one cat that was born in Canada, completely hairless. And they saw it and thought, hey, this is cool, and developed the Sphinx breed from that one specific cat. And they do the outcrossing, like I was talking about, like with the American Curl, which is a haired cat, or they do it with the with the dwarf cats to make what's called Bambinos. So you can breed them to a haired cat and then over time make them hairless again. So are there are the, well, I guess if you make them hairless again, they're not really as pure, but do they tend to do better? Do they tend to look any different if they're crossed back and bred back to being hairless? So I've noticed, for instance, with the cat that I have now, who is a 
Sphinx. They're called elves, though, with the ears. It is an experimental breed with Tika, the cat association currently. So it's not technically like a pure breed at this point. But the reason that they actually started doing it with the American Curl specifically was to aim to make a healthier cat because the American Curls have a much lower rate of things like heart disease. And then in terms of uh, allergies, I I think most people probably think it's the cat hair that would give them allergies, but I guess it's the dander. So are these breeds... Correct. So you can can have two different types of cat allergies. You can be allergic to their dander and fur, or you can actually be allergic to the cat saliva. So if you're allergic to their dander and fur, a sphinx cat could be a great option for you because they have dramatically less dander and obviously no true fur. It's just that peach fuzz on their body. However, they still have that same enzyme in their saliva that every other cat has. That is what some people are allergic to. So if the allergy is caused by that saliva, you will be, odds are, just as allergic to a sphinx cat as you are to any other. Oh, okay. That's interesting. I didn't know there was two kinds of, uh, of allergies. That's, that makes sense. So someone could have one, they're fine, but I mean, what, the cat licks, gets, licks itself and the saliva gets mixed in with the, what, the, the skin and people can still pet it and be allergic or how does it manifest? Yep, absolutely. It can be from contact. So people that are allergic to the cat saliva, you're usually going to see in those people, if they get scratched by a cat, for instance, because cats lick and clean their claws, that scratch will get very inflamed and have an almost immediate allergic reaction. And also just from that saliva being near their face, like if the cat was laying on them and they were breathing that in, the aerosolization can cause some form of reaction as well. So what are, um, I don't know, what are some of the interesting phenomena you run into with Sphinx cats that most people have no clue about? So a lot of people... Don't know about the bathing. The other kind of funny thing as far as grooming and maintenance goes is, and I don't know if you've experienced this with your cats, but we've mentioned claws several times. They do develop like a residue around the base of their nails, and that should actually be cleaned whenever you bathe them. And it can get quite thick and it can make their nails, if they have clear nails, it can make them look brown. And it's from that oil in their skin and they can also stain their teeth. So it can make their teeth look dirty, but just from getting that oil build up on them, it's actually not tartar or anything like that. It's just staining from that red brown oil that they produce. Oh, that's interesting. What about uh, feeding them? I mean, this, I'm sure this applies to all cats, but I've heard cats are like pure carnivores. So ideally, I guess, what's their ideal diet, you'd say? Cats are absolutely carnivores. And I am going to speak against a lot of the veterinary community right now because I am one of the few veterinary professionals that I personally know that believes cats should be fed a raw meat diet whenever possible. 
And this includes sphinx cats, um, as well as all other cats. They are carnivores. Their body systems are not meant to be digesting wheat and corn and other things that are in all of these commercial pet diets. So raw meat diet is really the way to go. You do want to make sure it is a balanced diet, though. That's very important. You don't just grind up muscle meat. If, you know, there are plenty of pre-made raw diets that you can buy these days. If you wanted to make your own, there's recipes online because you have to include bones, you have to include organ meat. And if you're making your own or with certain pre-mades, I actually recommend adding a vitamin and mineral supplement as well as taurine. Are there any meats they shouldn't have or do they have like chicken, beef? I mean, what do they have? It depends on the individual cat. Raw meat is a lot less likely for an animal to have an allergy to because it's what their body was actually designed to be breaking down. But I've heard with a lot of Sphinx owners, I've heard complaints about chicken allergies specifically. I haven't experienced that with either of mine. I tend to rotate proteins a little bit just so that the cats don't get bored. Uh, but my main staple protein that I use is a, a chicken-based diet. And then I will also throw in sometimes like a turkey or a duck and I'll do rabbit on occasion. Oh, that sounds pretty good. And what about um, the meat itself? Like, you know, a dog, you could just give it whatever and just tear it up. But the cats, I figure their teeth are a lot smaller and sharper. So how much do you have to rip up the meat or what kind of, you know, how do you prepare it so that they can eat it and not choke? A grind is usually going to be the best thing. I actually have a meat grinder specifically for grinding up meat for my animals, not even for the humans in my household, as well as generally all the pre-made raw diets that you can buy are going to be ground up already. So it's kind of a mash. It's very easy for them to chew up and eat. And there's also plenty of freeze-dried raw diets that it is complete whole raw balanced, but it comes in almost like pellets is what it looks like. And you can kind of crush or cut them up so that they're easier for the cats to eat and just add a little bit of warm water and rehydrate it. And they are good to go. Uh, what about fish? Is it good to give them like either cooked or raw fish? Raw fish is great. It, you don't want to do it in abundance and you want to make sure you're doing the appropriate types of fish. So certain fish can carry higher heavy metals and things like that. So there's a lot of research that has to go into it. But little things like sardines and smelt can be added to the cat diet, especially if you're making it yourself. Or even if you were buying a commercial pre-made, fish is going to be a lot higher in omega-3 fatty acids. So it's going to help with if there's any sort of dry skin issue or joint problems, things like that, I would add fish into their diet, definitely. And then how many times a day should they eat versus uh, regular cats? More, same? More, actually. So like I mentioned earlier, their metabolisms tend to be faster. So typically they do need to eat more than a regular cat. For adult cats, you can usually get away with twice a day as long as the portions are nice and hefty. Kittens, young kittens need to be fed at least four times a day. 
as they get older, even my four month old right now, she gets fed three times a day at this point in time. And every meal she acts like she's starving. So they do, they eat more than any other cat I've ever had. But on that same side of things, they are also prone to obesity because people know that they have a faster metabolism. They think that it's acceptable to give them unlimited food amounts. And that can cause a whole other slew of health issues. So you want to be careful to make sure that you're feeding them the correct amount so that they're maintaining an appropriate body condition. Any other uh, unusual things that you've discovered about them that aren't commonly known even to Sphinx cat owners? I think just going back to that that same heart disease aspect, it it's something that I knew about with all the research that I did, but as time goes on and this continues to be my breed of choice and I am constantly learning more, I'm finding out that a lot of people still don't know that it exists and still don't know about screening them. They don't know about the DNA test and they don't know about having them checked out by a cardiologist, which is actually recommended every 12 to 18 months for this breed, having their heart checked for this specifically. And even though I knew it was something they could get, I didn't understand the importance of annual screening and how quickly this disease can come on and how quickly it can cause them to pass away. And that was a lesson I had to learn the hard way with my first Sphinx B. Her symptoms were actually GI symptoms at first, which you would never think would be heart disease. Yeah, but if you check every year and then it shows up, what do you do? Can you do anything about it or no? You can, yes. So it depends on the degree of severity when it's first found. But there are some really great heart medications that they can be put on. If it's really minor, it could be something like, all right, come back in six months and let's take a look again and see how severe it is. Whereas if it was something where it was actually already starting to affect their heart's ability to pump blood, at that point, there are medications that they can put the cat on that helps to make that heart muscle not have to work so hard and basically prolongs the heart's life, which prolongs the cat's life. I don't know. Is it, are you doing, I mean, in addition to the veterinary work, are you engaged with any researchers that are researching Sphinx cats? Is anyone researching them? Or like, what's what's important to know about them that's not yet known? There is a massive need for research. And unfortunately, it isn't something that a lot of people are super interested in. North Carolina State University that I mentioned earlier was the first place to ever run, you know, a clinical study for the heart disease to try to isolate any sort of genetic variant that would be causing it. And that was, I think, primarily done because of the pushback from owners and breeders alike saying we need to have this. Um, So they're with an exotic breed like this, and it's still a relatively new breed, so to speak. I believe the Sphinx cat's came into existence around the 70s. I would have to double check. But when you look back among other purebred cats, they go back much farther. So with this being a newer breed, there's so much research that could be done to find 
to see if we are breeding in other bad qualities. Because with any purebred animal, I think the main focus needs to be breeding for the health of the animal, not breeding for what people think are cute. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, some animals, I, I feel bad, like they never should have been bred at all. Sometimes I feel like that with the Sphinx cats. I feel bad for them that, you know, this is just our, our ego instead of what's healthy for the cat. And I think that is, that's a real feeling. Like, I've I've often questioned things too, but it's the, like I said before, it's the personality that gets me. They just have a personality that's not like any other cat I've ever met. And I love that. And so I feel like I can provide great care for a cat, for a Sphinx cat that's going to have the same quality of life as any other cat. But the thing is, is we need to make sure that we're not breeding in things that, you know, are causing heart disease, are causing food or environmental allergies or any sort of arthritic changes like the the dwarf crosses that I mentioned, like the Bambinos, those guys almost always have elbow dysplasia and get hideous crippling arthritis in their older years. And that's something that there's literally no reason that you need a cat with legs that are an inch and a half long. Like that's just done purely for people's enjoyment. Yeah. And even within the Sphinx cat breeding world, it seems like it's hard to find reputable breeders and they seem to just be like these individuals that, you know, I don't know, live in whatever city and they, they just seem to be very hard to get Sphinx cats. It doesn't seem like there's a, um, you know, like a certified network of breeders. It just seems like to be like hobbyists doing it. It is very hard to find knowledgeable and reputable breeders, especially when the demand for Sphinx cats is so high and they're such a specialty breed. It creates this environment and community where a lot of people can take advantage of others. There are people that are getting scammed on a regular basis, putting huge amounts of money down for deposits for kittens that don't exist as well as people doing like kitten mill type situations to find a good breeder. There are lists on most of like the cat registry websites, like the Tika and the CFA, which is the cat fanciers association. They have lists of breeders. And then what I recommend people do if they're looking to get a kitten, generally a good breeder is going to have a wait list that is between six months and a year before you even get to pick a kitten that has been born. And they should be able to show you that the parent cats have both been screened for this specific heart disease and that they are clear of other like viral illnesses that they can get. Reputable breeders will be annually having their cats tested for herpes and chlamydia and all of these feline-specific diseases that tend to be very prevalent in catteries. And how often do uh, cats breed? Like, how often do they go into heat? And how many cat kids can they have in a year? I don't know, they go on clutches or what they call They generally... A reputable breeder will only breed a female cat usually once a year. They can be bred twice a year. 
sometimes even three times a year. If if you see a breeder that's breeding a cat, literally though, every chance they get, that's a huge red flag. And Sphinx specifically, I have heard and seen that they need to wait until they're a little bit older before breeding for the first time. So other cats, generally six to 12 months, they are ready to go. Sphinx cats, it's usually 18 to 24 months before they're able to successfully breed and have a healthy litter of kittens. And then average litter size is going to be like two to five You can see sometimes a singleton kitten born out of a litter. And sometimes, I mean, I talked to a lady who had a litter of, I believe, eight kittens born from one mom at one time. And that is a huge litter for any cat, really, especially a sphinx. Yeah, it's like octomom in the cat world. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. Well, very cool. Anything else that we should have talked about in terms of sphinx cats? or I mean, we covered a lot, which is great. So I think listeners that don't know much about them can, can find out more. Um, I, guess, I guess maybe the only other question is I've heard of is like Siamese cats and other unusual breeds. How do sphinxes stack up versus, again, like Siamese or other unusual breeds? And are they similar or totally different? I think they're totally different personally. So each each like purebred cat breed does have its own traits. Siamese are known for being incredibly vocal. I think they are a lot more independent and kind of standoffish as well, too. But when they want something, they'll let you know. Sphinx are also pretty vocal, but they're usually vocal about, hey, let me up or, hey, I want food. But most of what they want is to be just near their people 24-7. Well, yeah, one thing I noticed with with both of my sphinxes is they want to drink water every chance they get. Like we have a bowl of water out for them, but when I go to the bathroom, they want me to turn on the, the sink water dripping and then they go in the shower. They lick the water there. They are like constantly wanting to drink out of cups and or anything. Did you notice that? So I feel like they want water that isn't readily available, if that makes sense. And it's, it's true with a lot of other cats too, but I have noticed it, especially with the kitten that I have right now, she drinks more than our other cat. We have a regular cat with fur and our hairless cat definitely drinks more, but in general, cats are going to be attracted to like a dripping faucet or any sort of running fresh water as opposed to water that is sitting still. I think they think it's better for whatever reason and it's always more fun. Okay. Well, very good. Well, Kelsey, thanks for coming on and talking about all this great stuff. And where can people, um, you know, I know you mentioned the names of the two cat associations, but can you restate them? Like where can people find out about these cats? So one is tika.org, T-I-C-A dot org. And that has information about purebred cats, including the Sphinx breed. And the other one is the Cat Fanciers Association. And they also have breed information. And both of those sites will have lists of breeders as well as various breed information. But with this breed in specific, I tell people all the time, like, you can't do enough research. Research until you don't feel like you can anymore. And a day later, go back and start digging even more. There is so much to learn and there's always new information coming out. And I think it's so important for people 
to go out there and seek that information themselves if they think this is a breed they want to have. It's been a great call. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Richard. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.